and that was a, you know that was a pivotal conversation that took place i can remember it as if it was yesterday and it happened uh, a very long time ago and um so i decided that i wasn't going to get in any more trouble Power to live more with joe dodds welcome to the power to live more podcast all about productivity organization well-being energy and resilience Joe Dodds and I started this show back in 2016 to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean how they focus on productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience to enable them to do more of the stuff that they want to do and less of the stuff that they don't. After 241 shows I've taken a pause from doing new interviews to reshare previous interviews. They were too good to not revisit. So please do bear in mind that this podcast might refer to events from the past as current or in the future. But rest assured that the stories, tips and advice shared by my guests continues to be pure gold. Hello, my name is Ella Dodds and I'm co-presenter and today Joe's interviewing Graham Frost. Graham and Joe met about eight years ago at an Engage for Success meeting and have kept in touch ever since on social media. Recently, something Graham posted on Facebook reminded Joe of how interesting his life has been and she kicked herself that she hadn't invited it on here sooner. Graham Frost has spent his life making heart-shaped decisions. He left his whole family aged 17, experienced a life of petty crime, homelessness and a young offender's institution before recovering from testicular cancer all before the age of 25. Nowadays, Graham speaks to audiences of mainly young people, helping them to make better decisions. Back to the studio. Today I'm interviewing Graham Frost. Welcome Graham, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for inviting me Joe. it's a pleasure to be with you. Lovely. So we met each other, I was trying to work it out, I reckon, probably about eight years ago um, through Engage Success, which is nothing to do with what we're talking about today. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, as, as we said before we came on, that uh, we met each other through that, but then through social media, we've got to know each other a little bit better. And yes. you posted something recently that just prompted me to to sort of kick myself wondering why I hadn't invited you to the show before so really pleased to have you on start by telling us a bit about who you are and what you do and where you do it okay so i'm uh, these days i'm a professional speaker um i used to, so i i work in uh schools and prisons uh, uh, mainly uh, with young people who um maybe you know maybe need some help to make better decisions and i talk you know i talk about I actually speak about heart-shaped decisions as well. I came up with that um, kind of concept, I suppose, last only as, as recently as last year. But I was I was thinking about, you know, what what really defined what I speak about, and uh, I came to the conclusion that all the major decisions that I've made in my life have been made more with the heart than with the head. And, right. You know, and and. Um, I think my life has been more interesting and rewarding as a result of that. And so, yeah, so that's what the, I'm, a, you know, I'm a professional speaker now and, um, you know, working with young people generally to, um, you know, to help, to help them to actually make 
better decisions because I believe that the decisions you make when you're younger shape the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So tell us a bit more about what you mean by heart-shaped. Well, I think, it, I, think uh, I was talking to somebody recently and, and they said that, um, you know, somebody that's a little bit different to me and they said that you have thoughts which turn into feelings and then they turn into actions. And I thought about that and I thought, well, actually, no, I don't. I tend to have feelings that turn into thoughts. Um, I feel things before I think them, if that, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you feel in your heart and you think in your head. Uh, you know, so that, that's, that's, how I, that's how I would define that. Um, so, you know, when, when I hear a piece of music, for example, it gives me a feeling. So I tend, to, I tend to like music that doesn't have any lyrics sometimes because you can make it, you can, it makes you feel in a, a certain way. So I, I particularly like jazz, for example, because mm. of the, the way I like music because of the way it makes me feel, not necessarily because of the words. Yes, yeah. I don't know yeah. if that, if that um, helps to explain it at all. Mm-hmm. So as you said, that you, this is sort of a fairly recent uh, almost realisation in terms of what you want to do and, and, and why. You have yeah. got quite an interesting and complex story that's led you to here. So just sort of tell us a bit about, about how, you know, what your life's been like, what, what you've done and, and, and why and how you've ended up here. Okay. So I started off, I was born into a fundamentalist Christian religion, which had very, very strict rules. Um, and so for example, we've, we didn't have radios, televisions, we didn't have recorded music. So I grew up in the era of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And yeah. people at school were talking about the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And I didn't know what they were talking about because I wasn't allowed to listen to it. Um, and so things, you know, it's a bit like, I suppose, a young person these days growing up without any technology, without a mobile phone or something like that. Yeah. Um, and... Um, yeah, so, you know, and also my friends were very restricted. My friends were really restricted to my family and the church. So if I wanted to be friendly with somebody from school and go around to their house after school, uh, I wasn't allowed to. Mm. And um, I started questioning this at quite an early age, you know, why aren't we allowed to do this and why aren't we allowed to do that? And all my parents were saying, well, because I said so. Um, and I know a lot of parents used to say that, and maybe they still do. And um, then, so anyway, when I got to the age of 17, I decided I was going to leave. And by leaving, I cut myself off from my family completely because almost all my family at that point in time were in the church. And so they were told, you know, if somebody leaves, we, you know, they almost to all intents and purposes cease to exist. Wow. So I went off into the big wide world and I actually got a job in a pub in West London, and um, while I was working there, because I lived there as well, I actually got a job and, and somewhere to live, so I was sleeping above the pub and working behind the bar, and I wasn't even old enough to be working behind the bar, but nobody asked how old I was. Um, and I, I felt, you know, I fell in with uh, some bad company, and um, after about probably less than a year of being left home, I was actually, I was actually committing petty crimes, and... Um, stealing things and um eventually me and my friend who was kind of the you know he was the one that was suggesting 
and all the ideas, and I was the one that was actually going and, and taking all the risks. Um, and um, got arrested and was remanded in custody and uh, didn't learn my lesson. And eventually, at the age of 19, I ended up in Borstal, which uh, is a young offenders institution, which they've actually been abolished now. They don't have Borstals anymore. Um, and while I was in Borstal, uh, one of the uh, officers who you know, was there to sort of look after us, if you like, said to me, um, he said, I, I don't understand why you're here. He said, because you're not a criminal. You know, he said, we get young lads that come in here and we know that by the time they get to us, there's not a lot we can do with them. Mm. And um, he said, but you're not like that. He said, so I want you to go and sit down and think about what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And that was, a, you know, that was a pivotal conversation that took place. I can remember it as if it was yesterday and it happened uh, a very long time ago. And um, so I decided that I wasn't going to get in any more trouble. And, you know, I haven't. I haven't, apart from one or two speeding fines and one or two parking fines. That's pretty much, you know, that's been the, the limit of my law breaking ever since. And so... Before, um, you, before you carry on, can I just stop you and just ask a couple of questions everything you've said so far just just seems so full of sort of strength of character you know at 17 to leave your whole sort of experience and go somewhere else just yeah. sounds so like you know so many people wouldn't be able to do it how did you how did you do that how did you feel confident enough to, to do it or, or did you just feel you didn't have a choice I don't know. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was that. You know, I've, I've spoken about this quite a few times, many times, and people say, "How did you do it? Just go off at seventeen? Because you know, I was a very, very young and naive seventeen. Yeah. Um, and I felt that I had to. Yes, it was just that I felt that I had to. That I had to leave one life in order to have the life that I wanted. I didn't even know what I wanted at the age of seventeen, but I knew what I didn't want. Yeah. And I knew that if I if I stayed. You know, if I stayed where I was, I would have been married by the time I was probably in my very, very early 20s. And I had, you were expected to have large families and, um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of love necessarily in the organisation at all. Mm. And um, so, you know, I just thought, you know, I don't want, I didn't know what I did want uh, for quite a long time, probably. I didn't know what I did want. Mm. Um, I was kind of fell into things. And... You know, there's never, I mean, for a long time, there really wasn't a plan. Mm. And, yeah, so I, don't, I, I just went off. I thought, you know, I've got, to, I've got to escape. It was almost like, it was almost like escaping from one prison and then two years later I was in another one. Yes, yeah. And, and that discussion with the, the, the prison officer sort of basically saying, you know, this isn't for you. And, you know, you're, you're sort of saying now years later that was a pivotal moment. But that just sounds, you know, almost too easy. <laughs> How um, how have you sort of taken that, if you like, into what you're now doing? Because, I mean, he was right. Obviously, you weren't a criminal, yeah. were you? That was sort of, I guess, he, 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 he picked on that bit that was true, I suppose. But, you know, you're working with youngsters and, and in prisons now. And I, I presume you're wanting to have that moment with people like he had with you. Can you remember why it... It, it stuck with you so much at the time. Well, I think it was because <clears throat> because uh, actually while I was in the Borstal, I I really probably hadn't learned my lesson because uh, you know there's about two hundred lads in there, and uh, 
I was very, I was very young and naive. I, mean, I was probably, you know, most nineteen. I was probably less grown up than most nineteen-year-olds would be. I was still mm. very much finding out who I was, and um, so I, you know, I fell in with this other guy who was, um, you know, who who was my, if you like, protector. And I was, I think he he wanted me around him because I gave him a degree of, you know, people thought, oh, he he's okay. Um, and what happened was that one day, so I was knocking around with this guy who I thought would protect me in case anything went wrong. Mm. And um, one day he actually beat somebody senseless. And I wasn't there when it happened. And he was immediately taken and, and taken out of that force. And I never saw him or heard from him again. Right. But they, they also pulled me in. And uh, because they thought I knew something about it, because I was always with him, and they put they put me in the what they used to call the punishment block, and I was in solitary confinement for twenty four hours, and so I had time to I had time to think, and then after about a day or two after that was when that conversation happened. So you know mm -hmm. it was like um, you know do you really want? I thought yeah do I, and I probably I probably had the conversation with myself. You know have have I actually escaped from? one prison to, to end up going back into another one all the time mm -hmm. you know yeah. I don't yeah, and I yeah. can't I, you know it's a long time ago but I do I do remember coming out of there I mean it wasn't too bad it wasn't too bad a place to be because it was in the countryside and it you know it wasn't I mean you weren't locked into cells all the time we had a lot a relative amount of freedom but, yes. um, and I remember I remember walking out of there for the last time and, and thinking that's it. I'm not. I'm not going back there again. Although, long enough, I, I have. I have been and visited people in prison since, and I now. I now go. You know, I now go into prisons and uh, and visit. But I know I can get out again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh right. Okay. So. So yeah. So you. You've. You've come out and you decided to do something different. Continue the story. <laughs> oh yeah. So anyway, what happened then was that I carried on. I carried on working in the uh, pub business for for quite a while, and then. I met a young lady and we kind of settled down together and um, she was a little bit older than me and uh, one day she said to me, um, she said, Graham, why don't you get a proper job? I said, well, I've got, she said, I've got a proper job. She said, no, you haven't. You know, I was sort of flitting between different uh, jobs in catering and so I said, uh, I said, well, I've always, fan I've always fancied working on the railway. Um, and so she said, well, why don't you apply for a job on the railway? So I, I said, I don't know how to do that. So anyway, I thought, well, how can I do that? Can I apply? So I actually wrote a letter to the, the um, catering people on the railway to King's Cross. And uh, I always remember, because I wrote it on pink paper with a green pen, because that, <laughs> that was the paper we had in the house and the pen we had in the house. And so... Um, and I got a reply and I got, I got asked for an interview and of course there was no online applications or anything <laughs> like that in those days. It was 1978. And um, I, I went for an interview and got the job. I started, I started on the railway in January 1979 as a, a steward on the restaurant cars. And um, within six months of starting that job, I started to feel a little bit ill and not quite myself, and I was losing weight, and eventually went to the doctors, and long story short, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Wow. And um, so I had, I had then 15 months 
of uh, I had an operation and chemotherapy and radiotherapy, and I was off work for 15 months or more, more than that. And uh, yeah, obviously I'm okay now. But that uh, that was the and you know I remember you know people say oh yeah you can't you can't cure cancer with positive thinking. No, you absolutely can't. But I think there is yeah there is a um, an element of you know you have to decide that you're going to fight it yeah and and i did so i thought well i'm not going to let this beat me i haven't got to where i am now you know i was relatively happy with my life the way it was and um i haven't got you know i thought i'm not i'm not getting this far i'm letting this beat me and so you know i did i did come out the other end of that and um then you know things progressed i stayed i stayed in the railway industry for 24 years altogether and um my career kind of ended up i ended up in charge you know in charge of the uh catering teams on uh, on the scottish pullman train and did lot, uh, lots of really interesting work and then i got into uh, working in training and development on the railway mm. which was a big change when somebody offered me that opportunity in the 90s and so i've just celebrated 25 years of actually working in training and development in di different kind of way you know, different yeah. ways um, yeah, so I think, you know, I think you have to, it's, it's about sort of taking the opportunities that are offered to you, but sometimes you have to go and look for them as well. So how long is it since you had your own business? So as you say, you started training developing in, mm. on the railways, but you now work for yourself. So yeah, how so, did that transition happen? So how that happened was uh, the first time around anyway, I had, um, I've been working, I've been working in training and development on the railway for seven years, seven mostly very, very enjoyable years. Uh, had did some fantastic work that I'm still very proud of. And then there was a, a you know, the, the big word that comes in, a restructure happened. And uh -huh. the job that I was actually doing was done away with. And I was offered some other, I was offered some other jobs, um, which I didn't really want to do. So I said, you know, what, um, what other options are open? They said, well, you can take voluntary redundancy if you want to. And so I said, how much, how much am I going to get if I leave? And they told me and at the time in uh, 2003, it was, you know, it was a reasonable amount of money. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to take that. And I thought I'm going to go and try and do something different. And um, so then I came, I came out of them. Um, I came out of the railway and after a few weeks of sort of applying for jobs and one thing and another, and I thought, and then I went to America. I have some friends who live in, Orange County in, in, in California and uh, they said why don't you come out and spend a few days with us so I got a cheap flight and I went out to California and while I was in California I was sort of walking on the beach and I remember it was February you know and it was uh, Venice Beach and places like that and um, I thought you know what I'm actually going to have a go at doing my own stuff I'm going to have a go at having my own business because you know why not you know mm. and so I started off doing customer service training and then I was I was uh, contacted by I didn't you know I mean, it, takes, it sounds very glamorous but it actually wasn't I didn't I just about managed to make ends meet for about the first sort of year to eighteen months and I had my redundancy money to fall back on and um, then a, another railway company contacted me and I actually went and uh, worked for them it was supposed to be for three weeks and it turned into over a year. Uh, completely revamping and delivering all their induction training and 
then I did some other work, some work for another railway company as a contractor. And then um, I had a family circumstances change. So my, uh, at the time, my, uh, my ex-wife's grandson turned up and came to live with me, uh, which is a whole nother, a whole nother story. Um, and so I, I thought, well, I can't, you know, when you're self-employed in, in my line of work, Certainly, in those days, you have to be able to. You have to be very flexible about travelling, and literally be able to go to the other end of the country. And I couldn't do that anymore, so I got a job again um, with a financial services company as a learning and development consultant. And you know, I was I quite enjoyed a lot of the work I did there, but I didn't particularly enjoy the culture of that industry. And um, so, in in the end. I lasted five years there and then uh, walked away from that in, I think it was 2011, and then thought, right, I'm going I'm to start, I'm going to start again. And um, so I've done, you know, I've done sort of bits and pieces of training work. I, that's how we met because I got involved with the um, Engage for Success uh, group because yeah. I, you know, because employee engagement is something that I've always been very passionate about. I think it's part of the heart-shaped decisions thing for me is, you know, working with people who actually care about the uh, who care about you and care about the people who work for them mm. and i have experienced that and i wanted to i wanted to help other people experience it and um yeah so that that's that's you know, that's where that's where my career went and the, you know i've done i've done lots of uh, training work for all sorts of different uh, soft skills training over the last um last yeah, well, probably yeah, probably ten years, you know, here and there for different people. Yeah, and the training work kept rolling in, so I kept doing it. And then I thought, you know, is this really what I want to be doing for the rest of my working life? You know, have I have I got a message to get out there? You know, and that's when the the heart shaped decisions thing started happening. And mm -hmm. uh, I decided this year was going to be the year that I really focused on on getting my um, my speaking business, you know, properly off the ground because you know it's, it, it's really about helping people and being of service. Yeah. Um, and uh, so then, of course, you know, actually having a really good start, and then the COVID nineteen situation happened. But I've actually carried on building relationships and um, you know quoting people for work that is going to happen once we yeah you know, once we get back to a situation where we can we can go and speak to people face to face again. Yes, yeah. So you have the sort of positive um, story to what's been happening, I guess. Tell, tell us a bit about how you have sort of maintained that relationship building, the sorts of things that, that you're doing to get yourself out there in, in what's quite a, a sort of challenging um, type of business, I think. You know, speaking, a lot of people talk about, oh, you know, you can't make money speaking or, you know, everyone wants you to do it for free or, or whatever. To, you know, give me a bit of your perspective on it. Clearly, it, it's it's you know it's coming from your heart. It's <laughs> something that yes, well, you know you you feel is really important. But you know, what what have you been doing to 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 make that shift and and build that well, business? I think I think the thing I did this year, which I've never done before, well, I've never properly done before, because um, I'm you know I'm very good at doing going at things sort of half-assed a bit. But I, this year, I thought. Um, well, back end of last year, I was actually invited to join a mastermind group by 
a, a friend of mine who's a, who's a successful professional speaker called David Heiner. And um, I thought to myself, you know, this is actually the right time to be doing this. It's actually a paid mastermind group. So it's not, you know, you got, it's not just a group of people that get together and have lunch and talk about their business. It's actually, a, you're actually paying some money to be part of it. And yeah. um, I've never done that before. So I took, I took up the invitation. And so I've, it's almost like um, I've now got a team of people who are supporting me and we're supporting each other. Mm. One, of the, one of the hardest things about being self-employed is that uh, I miss, you know, I actually quite like being part of a team. And I have that, <coughs> excuse me, I have that now where I didn't, you know, I've probably never, I've always been a bit independent. Yeah. <clears throat> so um yes yeah, so and what have i done well i've actually focused on building relationships particularly with people on linkedin mm -hmm. it's amazing it's amazing how many people will actually accept connection requests on linkedin and then you can gradually build relationships with them um and i've also you know so i've got i've, I've got uh, if you like two target markets really which is schools and prisons mm -hmm. and that's what I've been focusing on for the last probably three or four months yeah and that's you know, they're the sub kind of people I'm talking to and it's ama amazing how much also how much help you get when people know that you've actually got a story that can help people in you know younger people who, who need some direction in life yeah you know um, and yeah so it's, it's it's coming together. Lovely. That uh, sounds really positive. So, so how, how do you go about getting done what you need to get done? You just mentioned that uh, you've not always sort of pushed yourself. <laughs> how do you make sure you do the things that you know that you need to do? What's your sort of day-to-day uh, -day organization strategy? <laughs> well, oh, well, I'm not sure if I've, I'm not sure if I've got a complete strategy. No, I have. <laughs> I, <laughs> I do actually have I do actually have a daily a daily to do list and it's it's even got to the point now where it's on my it's I have a, you know, my diaries on my phone I made I made the change this year from having a paper diary it was a big big step for me to get go away from having a paper diary to having my diary on my phone yeah. but what the diary does on my phone is it sends me emails when things have got to be done and it gets on my nerves so um, <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, it, it gets I think you know I'll get much more done now than I ever used to because um, and I also have a system of rewards so I say to myself okay so if I get this particular I mean I don't like marketing and sales I like to, you know if I could get somebody to do the marketing and sales for me I just go out and do the speaking I would yeah. be I would be happy but you can't I think do we're that. all the same aren't we <laughs> yes, you know I don't like doing I mean I don't like doing sales and marketing but it's got, I've, you know, I've actually had to realise that this has got to be done. Like you've got to bite the bullet and just get on with it. Yeah. So like, you know, if I send, you know, if I, <clears throat> if I send out, um, I don't know, 50 or 60 video messages to people, I say, right, now, now I'm going to go and have some lunch. Or just something simple like going and having a cup of coffee or <clears throat> going across, the, you know, there's a, there's a Greg's... Um, literally five minutes walk from my house, I'm going to reward myself with a sausage roll and a cup of coffee from Greg's for my lunch, mm -hmm. uh, rather than having a healthy lunch, which I've got in the house. Um, or I'll <laughs> go for a walk. You know, I'll go, go for a walk. Uh, okay, so I've got, um, 
after after this after this call, I haven't actually been for my walk today, so I thought, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna have my conversation with Joe. Then I'm gonna do another half an hour's work, and then I'm gonna go and go for my daily walk because right. a walk is a reward to me. Yes, yes, so definitely the rewards come in. Lovely. Um, so you said something, and I've now just completely forgotten what it was that I wanted to further ask you about. Um. That's not like me to suddenly lose my train of thought in the middle of the thing. You, I think um, you got me on to thinking about healthy walking things. So you talked about um, your diary and the fact that um, your, oh, your emails, you don't like notifications. You yeah, could just switch them off. I think I had four different notifications came on my phone to tell, tell me that I was speaking to you today. And you turned up on time, so they obviously do work. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm always early. I'm not, I'm, I hate being late for anything. So yes. I was actually here about four minutes to two. Oh, very good. Oh, no, I remember what it was. You said um, sending video messages to people. Tell me more about that. Okay, so I've just found that I've just found that quite a useful thing to do. So I'll, I will record a short video on my phone. Because I do everything on my phone. I've got the most amazing phone. And, yeah, well, I think everybody has them now. I like, you know, every, everything I do on video is actually done on my phone. Yeah. Um, so I'll record a minute video on my phone and I'll just send that out to a uh, targeted number of people on LinkedIn as a message. Because ah. people, get, people get fed up with getting, um, you know, text messages on LinkedIn. So I yes. just send a short video. And, it's, you know, it's, I've had, um, I get quite a, lot of, uh, quite a lot of good feedback from it. Brilliant. That sounds like a great idea. I'm glad I remembered what it was because that's, <laughs> that's a really yeah, interesting I mean, point. I just hope everybody else doesn't start doing it now. No, good point. Else. <laughs> well, don't worry. Don't worry. No one listens to this podcast. No one will start doing it. It'll be fine. Sure do, <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. So are there any other tools or apps that you use that you'd recommend? Any, sorry, any apps? Um, any tools or apps? Yeah. Not really. No, I've just used my, I don't have a, I don't have like a, a, a particular favorite app for organizing myself or anything like that no um apart from, apart from you know the calendar on my phone yes yeah as you say phones are just i saw a, a quote that i put on facebook a, a long time ago that, that said you know our, com- our phones are like mini computers now um which as you say are so different to how things used to be oh god yeah yeah, yeah. I can remember in the in the mid nineties. I remember so about nineteen ninety five, ninety six. I said, well, I can't imagine any circumstances under which I would want a computer or a mobile phone. <laughs> um, now I, my mobile phone's hardly ever out of my hand. I do most of my, you know, I was actually I was actually in in France doing some volunteering at a refugee camp about four years ago, and um, there was a chap there who has a consultancy business. He was staying in the same youth hostel as we were, and um, he actually said that he has a he has a consultancy business which he runs from his phone. Yes, yes. And he yeah. travels around the world all the time doing one thing and another, but he's all he's got he's earning money while he's travelling. Yes, yeah, brilliant. So you touched a bit on on how you keep up your energy to do the things that you need to do you talked about walking mm. i guess having talked about um having cancer so young has that had an impact on the sort of general shape of how you've lived your life and how you've looked after yourself since it probably didn't i probably didn't to begin with um because no because i actually funnily enough i continued i i used i, I used to be a smoker and um 
I remember saying to the doctors when I was have, when I had cancer, you know, um, would you advise me to take up? Because I d- didn't even want a cigarette when I was having the treat. Uh, but everybody smoked, you know. I'm talking about the sort of early 1980s. Everybody is. Yeah. You were strange if you didn't smoke. And mm. I had enough of being strange when I was in my sort of church in my childhood. So I just wanted to be like everybody else. So I smoked. Mm. And um, no, I didn't look after my. I didn't look after myself very well at all. I used to smoke. Probably drank too much. Um, and yeah, until until. In fact, I didn't give up smoking until 2005. And I gave up, I, don't, I still have a drink, but I drink less alcohol now than I've ever drunk in my life. Um, just the odd beer now and again, and the odd glass of wine now and again. Yeah. I drink a fair amount of water. Um, and I eat reasonably healthy, but I've probably eat a little bit, I probably, in common with many other people, I've been eating just a little bit too much over this lockdown period. Oh, yes, absolutely. We keep saying that. It hasn't stopped us, though. <laughs> No, I know, and I really must. My partner says to me, you know, you really, she said, you know, it's, it's not good for you. And she, I mean, she's like, um, really, you know, she's a bit younger than me. And, uh, yeah, she she gets a lot of exercise at work because she's always rushing around at work. But, uh, no, I, I, I need to, I, I mean, I'm not massive, you know, but I'm a, probably about half a stone heavier than I'd like to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what about learning and improving yourself? Your, your life has changed so many times and you've done so many things that have been quite, quite a leap for you. Mm. How, how do you think or how have you continued to learn and, and improve yourself and, and be ready to do those things? Well, I think, most, I think most of the learning has been done once I've actually made the move. Um, I've, I've jumped and then learned how to do things, like starting my own business. I have no idea. I've worked in the same place for 24 years and, um, you know, I didn't even have a CV when I left there because I didn't need one because I've just been promoted gradually through the ranks there. Um, but uh, so what I've got, so I think one of the biggest things I did was join Toastmasters International uh, in 2003 uh-huh. because that helped me to actually hone my public speaking and, and actually helped me with my confidence uh, yes. massively. And I stayed, you know, I stayed a member of Toastmasters for quite a long time. In fact, I only left, I only left about two years ago. Mm-hmm. And the organisation I belong to now is a professional speaking association, which actually helps me, you know, because I see, I see a lot of other speakers that are better than me. And they also, you know, the, the PSA also helps you with the uh, nuts and bolts of, ru- of running a speaking business. Yeah. Um, and I do, I do read to a certain extent. I mean, you know, uh, but not, not, I'm not a massive reader of personal development books. But uh, I have read a few. Uh, I've read, you know, um, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That sticks in my mind. I read that quite, quite a long time ago. And um, I like, I actually like, like to read biographies of people who have, you know, have been successful in one way or another. Mm. Mm. and what about those days where it goes horribly wrong where you have a, 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 a tough day things don't work out how do you deal with that I mean again you've you've had so much adversity that you have just dealt with <laughs> I'm expecting you to go I just carry on <laughs> but well, do you, can you identify how you how you deal with those things yeah I can I can actually because I've thought very I've thought a lot about that um 
over the years, you know, people say, oh, no, you can't have a bad day. You've got to be, everything's got to be fantastic all the time. I said, no, it hasn't. No, that's ridiculous. You know, you can't have, you know, I feel quite passionate about the fact that it's okay now and again to have a bad day, you know, yeah. because the sun doesn't shine every day, does it? And, you know, if some, I mean, I had some friends who went to live in Spain about 10 years ago, and they came back after two years because they were fed up with the sun shining all the time. That's true. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so um, I think you have to allow yourself. I allow myself to have a bad day now and again, just not do anything. I just feel sorry for myself. And I think, right, okay, you've done that. Now get it out of your system. Tomorrow you get on with what you're supposed to be doing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you. And last question what about those days where you have um, the opportunity to live more? And that's why I talk about getting to do more of the things that you want to do and less of the stuff that you don't want to do. What do those days look like for you? Well, I think, you know, my ideal day would be, sort of work-wise, my ideal day would be where I've actually spoken to a group of people or maybe, you know, I might go into somewhere and speak to two or three groups of people in the, in the space of a day and tell my story and, and actually see a few light bulbs coming on in people's heads and you actually know that those people are going to go away and do something slightly differently as a result of listening to you. Mm. Um, and in my personal life, you know, I actually can't think of anything more I'd rather do than actually spend the day with my partner. Lovely. Lovely. Thank you, Graham. It's been so lovely speaking to you and, and catching up in a bit more detail, having sort of known each other on the uh, edges of, <laughs> of things yeah. for, for so long. So thank you for joining me. Tell people how they can find out more about you and connect with you. Okay, so you can find, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Graham Frost's heart-shaped decisions. If you just Google Graham Frost, I normally come up uh, the top. There's a few other Graham Frost, but I normally come up on the top of Google if you look for me. Uh, you can email me graham at grahamfrost.com or you can even you can even call me on the telephone on 07766 And I like I like talking to people um, and listening to people. So. Uh, Thank you very much, Joe, for uh, giving me the opportunity to come on. It's been lovely. It has. Thank you so much, Graham. Attention, home-based coaches and consultants. Are you tired of feeling alone, isolated and frustrated with running your home-based coaching or consulting business? Are you sick of feeling like your life would be better and you'd be happier if you felt more organised and productive? Do you feel like there's simply not enough time in a day to get all the things done that you need to do to build a successful business while making time to live more? It's time to stop the isolation and start getting more organised, productive and focused on the skills that will move the needle forward. It's time to join the Power to Live More Calm membership. If you're ready to, stop creating the wheel and focus on the things that truly matter in your life and business. Learn what you need to know to be successful and live more. Get accountability help from a group of like-minded home-based business owners. To learn more about the Power to Live More Calm membership program and apply, visit powertolivemore.com slash get calm. Use your power to live more.